All right, so we're up to Daf Memtes Amid Aleph. The, 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 the last thing the Gemara said is that once the father gives over the daughter to the Shluchei Habal, she becomes like married, so to speak. It's Kilo, she went to the Chuppah regarding many halachas. We talked about yesterday, Truma. The last thing we said was that she gets Chenek from now on. If she's Mizana, if she commits adultery, she's not considered a Nara Mirasa who gets Skila. She's now considered an Asua who gets Chanak. So the Gemara just wants to know, Ema Hechata Hadra Lebeinasa Hadra Lemilsa Kamaisa, Lebeinasa Hadra Lemilsa Kamaisa. How do you know that if, if she goes back home, it's not undone? Meaning, I understand when she goes to the Chuppah, that's finite. There's no undoing the Chuppah. But over here, the husband, the father gives her over to the Shulchei Abal. Oh, she's all of a sudden chenek now. What happens if an hour later she's like, I want to go back home? So, what's the halacha then? Does she go back to being, does it get undone? Or do we say no? It's like a chuppah. Once, once you're given over, you're in a sua regarding these halachas, and there's no, no backsies. This is the sophisticated, uh, unsophisticated way of saying this. So the Gemara says, Amarava, ha'ukvar poska tandbe abishmal. We already have an answer for tandbe abishmal. The tandbe abishmal. The Pasuk says, Beneder almano grusha kolasher osa anasha yokumaleha. The Pasuk says, uh, A neder of an alman and a grusha, she has to keep. Now, what the Pasuk tried of the Pasuk is like this A woman who makes a vow when she's below bat mitzvah and she's single, her dad can annul it. Once she's married, her husband can annul it. So the Pasuk says, Yeah, but if she's a widow or divorcee, she has to keep the vow because there's no one to annul it, right? Can't, can't, husband can't annul it because she's widowed. Father can't annul it because she annul it, she's married. So the question is, like, what do you need the Pasuk to tell me? That's pretty posh. Yeah, if there's if if you're telling me, like, it's pretty simple. What, what is the chiddush of the Pasuk? The Pasuk says, that she has to keep her vows. It's pretty posh that 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 she has to keep her vows because there's no one to annul it. Right? Her husband can't annul it because she's not married. Her father can't annul it because she's out of the father's house. So what is the Pasuk? Adding, Ella Harisha Maser Avlo Shluchia Baal, Oisher Maser Shluchia Avlo Shluchia Baal, Vinis Armla Bederach, Oinis Garsha, Heach and Ikoraba, Beis Avir Shulzu, Beis Bailo Shulzu. The answer is this Pasik is referring to the following scenario. The scenario is that the father gave her over to the husband's Shluchim, and then while they were traveling, the husband died. So therefore, the question is who annuls her vow? On the one hand, her husband's dead, so it can't be the husband. But maybe it should be the father. But she was given over to the father, shluchim. The question is, if we said yesterday, if you give over the wife to the, the girl to the shluchi ha'abal, she's become a nesua. So the question is, what if what if she undoes it? Right? If you give her over to the... If you give the father... The father gives the daughter over to the husband's messengers or to the husband on the process, a week before, whatever. So the, the, the halacha is that she's considered an Isua regarding chenek, regarding truma, and all these things. The question is, she correct. She hasn't entered the chuppah yet. Even though the shliach just took her, took mm-hmm. took her mm-hmm. for the road trip mm-hmm. and, uh, to mm-hmm. Atlantic City. Right. No, so well, what happens if she changes her mind, or whatever? Now, yeah. What happens if she changes her mind? Does she undo undo that, or we? Again, the shliach did say her her kedushin. This is before the chuppah. Oh, okay. She already had kedushin. She's on her way to the wedding. So the the question is, if could it be undone? So the Gemara says, well, this Pasuk says that if she's a widow or a divorcee, 
she has to keep her vows. So the Gemara says, yeah, of course she has to keep her vows. There's no one to acknowledge. She's a widow of divorcee, so she's not in her father's house, she's not in her husband's house. So the answer is the case is this scenario where you gave her over to the Shluchim, and then while she's traveling, the husband dies. So the Gemara says, well, who should annul her vows? So the Pasuk is telling you, meaning, the husband, the father giving her over to the Shluchim Habal, and as they're traveling, the, sh- the, the husband dies, is the equivalent of her saying, I want to undo this. It's basically undoing it. So the question is, what do you say? And the Pasuk is telling you, the second you're given over, that's it. The father can never annul your vows anymore. You're out of his house forever. There's no undoing it. So too it would be over here, if she says, I want to go back, there's, there's no undoing it. That, that's, the, that's the main point of this Gemara. I understand. Yeah. We're talking about uh, where the husband, the, the where her future, future husband, husband dies while they're traveling to the wedding. Right. And the Pasuk is saying she, her, her father can no longer right. annul her vows. Why? Why? She's like, I want to go home. I, I didn't, I, right. uh, you know, this is like a temporary thing and the husband's dead. I want to go home. Right. The answer is no. Once you're, once you're given over to the shulchan, there's no, halachically, there's no going back. Can, so it, it, even, if, even if she decides to go back or the husband dies, she can never go back to her father's home. She's like, she's treated as a widow or a divorcee. That's the point. So she's treated as a widow or divorcee. The Gemara, so that was the proof. The Gemara says, Amraf Papa, Papa says, the truth is we have a Bryce that speaks this out clearly. The Bryce says, if um, a, a person commits adultery with a woman after Kedushin, he don't get skila, right? You get skila for the special Nairamirasa. Ajate Naira, she has to be a Naira, Basula, Muurasa, Bibavesavia. Okay, so she has to be a Naira. She has to be a basula, she has to be kedushin, and she has to be in the father's house. So what are the four coming to teach you? So let's go through each one. Bishlam and Naira of Begeris. Naira means she has to be 12 to 12 and a half, not above that. Okay. Basula Vlebula. She has to be a virgin and not a bula. Muurasa Nesua. She has to have kedushin and not nesuin. But what's the last one? Besavia. She has to still be in the father's house. Lemute Mai. Lavimute Masarav It means. She only gets skila if she's still in the father's house. The second the father gave her over to the shulchei abal, she's no longer in the father's house anymore. She gets chenek. So it's clear from this brisa. Amr of Nachmar Yitzchak Afanami Tanino. We have a similar brisa that teaches habal eshesish. If a man commits adultery, the second she enters the husband's domain, even if they never had relations together, habal eres bechenek. The Pasuk, the Brisa says, the second she enters the husband's domain, one of the ways to enter the husband's domain is going with the shluchim. So you see, just merely going with the shluchim, that's it, you're forever no longer in your father's house, and there's no one doing that. Correct. Exactly. Okay, new Mishnah. Yeah. Well, no, going to the is more is more definitive, but... Like, yeah. We had yesterday, the only, one of the discrepancies could be truma. According to some opinions, you don't eat truma until the chuppah, if the husband's a kaya. But yeah, yes, 99.9% halachas there. That, huh? Or versa, right? Correct. Yeah. I think you'd have to stop regardless after Kedushin. I think you have to stop, yeah. But the point is, it's for 99% of halachas, there's no distinction between giving over to the shluchim or actual chuppah. The, the only difference is, could you live with him? <laughs> right, right. You know, you're not fully married yet. Like, 
Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess for Biev, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, okay, interesting, because that'll become, you're saying that'll be the Chuppah? That's the Chuppah, okay, that's a good point. Um, okay, new Mishnah. The Mishnah is basically saying like this. I mentioned this yesterday, and now we're going to go through it in more detail. The Halacha is, up to the age of six years old, the father has to support his kids uh, food-wise, financially. That's later on, that's taught later on. The question is, what about above six? As I mentioned um, yesterday, America changes things. Um, America, I think it's now up to 16. Ramesha says that you're obligated to uh, feed your kids because legally you have to feed your children. So therefore, halachically, we're not going to treat it any less than that. But technically, above the age of six, is there a chiv at all? That's this Mishnah's discussion. 16. I think 16 is the age where you're emancipated, no? I think it's 16. I thought it was 16. Could be, whatever, wherever state... Ramesh's point is that we can't, from a halachic perspective, we're going to see in a moment, it could be the age of six, you could tell your kids, hey, you're on your own, get a job. And if you want to pay for their food, that's tzedakah, and that could come out of miser. Ramesh was asked, practically, can it come out of miser in America? And the answer is no. Because while technically six is where Chazal said that Chiyav stops, in America, where there's an obligation to to, to, to raise your kids, then either Dina Machusa or just Stam, the Torah is not going to treat them less, you know, you, you, know, you, you have to, the obligation to adhere to what's deemed uh, normal in society. That's the truth of Ramesha. It's a, it's a lot older. No, but that's why it's Negea. That's why when people like, you have a kids that like, your, your children got married and they're in Israel for the year, and they have no money. Could you use Meiser? Yeah. Because you have zero, <laughs> once they're married, zero, ob- you don't have an obligation past 16, the truth is, but like, but you understand, like definitely once they're married, like for sure, then he's an Ani, and he's an Ani in your family, and Aniyei, Aniyei Mishpacha Kadima. So our mission deals with above six, is there an obligation? So the mission says, I think it's 16, a father is not obligated to give food to his daughter when she's above the age of six. Now, pause. It says daughter, which I'll just spoil basically the rest of the daf, um, most of the daf, and that is that the, the Misha said daughter, which at first the Gemara understands that there's no obligation for a daughter, but there is an obligation for a son. Why that would be, I have no idea. But the Gemara will eventually reject it and say daughter and who had son. But the Gemara at first uh, feels that there's a distinction between daughter and son, and it creates problems. So at first the Misha says, Avi Nechai the father is not obligated to support his daughter uh, financially and, and from a food perspective above the age of six. And this drosha was darshim in front of Chachamim Kerev Yavna. And what's the source? Because it says in the Ksuba, Habanim Yarshu It says in the Ksuba that the, fa- the, the husband is going to give certain monies to the wife. In the Ksuba, it says, I don't know our Ksubas, but in the Ksuba, the Gemara, it said that the children that they have from this marriage, after, um, if the husband dies, the, 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 sons, the sons get supported, and the daughters get supported by their brothers. Right? So the, the money goes in escrow, the money goes to the sons, and the daughters get supported from their brothers. Now this is all after the father dies. The implication is the same way the sons don't get the inheritance until the father dies. The daughters also don't have to be fed until the father dies. You understand? Because there's two, there's two institutions from the Ksuba. One is that when the father dies, the sons get the money, the brothers, and the brothers give 
food to their sister. So the implication is the same way the sons don't get the money when the father's alive, then the sisters don't also have to be fed when the father's alive. Um... Okay, so the Mishnah said there is no obligation to feed the daughters once they hit the age of six. Again, the Gemara is going to deduce from this, there's no obligation by the daughters, but there's obligations by the son. So the Gemara speaks it out. So first, first um, um, deduction is that there's no obligation to feed your daughter, but there is an obligation to feed the son. So son, yes, daughter, no. And, and the Gemara is also medayik from the Mishnah. Even by the daughter, there's no obligation, but there's a mitzvah. So, the mashmos of the Mishnah is, son, yes, chiv, daughter, no chiv, but yes, mitzvah. The problem is, this discrepancy between son and daughter, that there's a chiv for the son and there's no chiv for the daughter, that we're deducing from the Mishnah. There's three, there's three opinions amongst the Tanoim, the obligations of six and up. Nobody makes a distinction between son and daughter. So the question is, who authored our Mishnah? If we're saying that there's, a, because the Mishnah says, that you're chayiv in the mezainus of your son, but you're not mechayiv in the mezainus of your daughter, the problem is there's three opinions amongst the Tanoim, and nobody says this. That's the Gemara's Kasha. The Gemara says, Mani Masnison, who authored our Mishnah? Lord Rav Meir, it's not Rav Meir, Lord of Yehuda, it's not Rav Yehuda, Lord of Yechem Embroika. And it's not Rav Yechem Embroika. Titania, mitzvah lozain es habonis. There's a mitzvah to feed your daughters above six. By the way, not a chiv, a mitzvah. Kavachoyim rilabonim, and there's a mitzvah for the sons. So stop. This is Rav Meir. So you see, Rav Meir holds sons and daughters are the same. Mitzvah no chiv, not our Mishnah. Because our Mishnah is making a discrepancy between sons and daughters. Rameyer puts them together. Um, there's a mitzvah to support your daughters, kavachom, your sons, daski b'torah. There's more of a reason to support your sons because they're Isaac b'torah. So you have a, a chalik in their mitzvah. Divra Meir, that's Rameyer. So Rameyer puts sons and daughters in the same category. Rav Yudah also puts sons and daughters in the same category, but he holds that the Iker mitzvah is on the daughters, not the sons. Mitzvah and I'm sorry, the Iker, Kavachoyim Rilabonos. Rav Yudah also puts that there's a mitzvah, no obligation for sons and daughters, but he says there's a mitzvah for the sons. Kavachoyim the daughters, Mishum Zilusa. He feels there's more of a reason to, to, to give you a mitzvah to, for the daughters because it's degrading for daughters to have to collect money. They both agree there's a mitzvah for sons and daughters. The question is, what's more, what's, um, more of a, a straightforward mitzvah? Rameir feels straightforward mitzvah is the sons because of the Torah. Review the holds straightforward mitzvah is the daughter because it's embarrassing and degrading to make them collect money. But so far, Rameir and Rav Yehuda are both equating sons and daughters in the same category. That there, it's a mitzvah no chiyav. Then you have Rav Yechem and Breikaimer, Chayva Lozen is Habonis Lachar Mises Avian. Abachavian, Elvain in Nizain. Rav Yechem and Breikaimer holds sons and daughters are the same, that there's no chiyav and there's no mitzvah. Okay, so who's our Mishnah? Our Mishnah says there's a mitzvah for the daughters, meaning no chiv, no chiv for the daughters, which implies there's a mitzvah and there's a chiv for the son. So sons and daughters are not the same. Nobody says that. Rameir and Rav Yehuda both hold sons and daughters the same, there's just a mitzvah, no chiv. Rav Bereka holds sons and daughters are the same, that there's no chiv and no mitzvah. So who authored our Mishnah? It's not Rameir, it's not Rav Yehuda, it's not Rav Yehuda. So the Gemara says... Money masis and who authored a mishnah? Irav Meir Hamar Banim Mitzvah. Irav Yehuda Hamar Banim Nami Mitzvah. Irav Yehuda Hamar Brayka. I feel a mitzvah Nami Leka. Who authored our mishnah? 
And the Gemara is going to answer that our Mishnah could work with everybody. And that is that when the Mishnah says there's no obligation on the daughter, don't deduce that there is an obligation on the son. When it says no obligation on the daughter, there's also no obligation on the son. It just spoke out daughter for the added chiddush that that even a daughter there's no there's no obligation. You might think there's an obligation on the daughter because a little girl needs help. No, there's no obligation on the daughter. Who then there's no obligation on the son? Meaning, basically, we first thought that there's a, disti- a distinction in the mission between sons and daughters. The answer is there is not. Let's go through each one. Our mission could work with everybody. Let's go through each one. Ibasim Rav Meir, it could work with Rav Meir. I, Rav Meir, said there's a mitzvah for both. Our Mishnah implies there's a mitzvah for daughters, a chiv for the sons. The answer is, This is how you should read our Mishnah. A father is not obligated to support his daughters above the age of six. But I didn't live, no. He also doesn't have, he also does not have an obligation for the sons. Sons and daughters are the same. And there's a mitzvah for both. Meaning, mitzvah for both, no obligation for both, which is mamish or meir. And why, I, if there's no obligation for both, why does it say there's no obligation for a daughter? That that could imply there's an obligation for a son. The answer is, hadiktani bita, go to the next page. Afilo bita, chovahu daleka, hamitzvah ikka. The chiddush is that even a daughter, there's no obligation, but there's a mitzvah. Meaning, even though a daughter doesn't learn Torah, there's still a mitzvah to support your daughter above the age of six. That's our mayor. Same thing for Rabbi Yehuda. Ibeisem Rabbi Yehuda. How he come? Ha'av inochayim mizonas bito. Chol shekain levno. When the Mishnah says there's no obligation for the daughter, there's also no obligation for the son. Hamitzah bibno, but there's a mitzah with the son. Kavachom lebanos. There's a mitzah for both. So why did it speak out daughter? Hadiktani bito. Hakamashulon. Afilu bito. Chovaleka. The chiddush is that even a daughter, there's no chiyav. Meaning you might think there should be a chiyav for the daughter because it's degrading to make a daughter collect money. Kamashulon. No, there's no chiyav for the daughter. But the truth is, daughters and sons are the same. Okay, and the last one is Rabbi Yochum Bebroka. Again, Rabbi Yochum Bebroka held there's no obligation and there's no mitzvah for any of them. So he would also interpret the mission that way. You're not obligated in the daughters in feeding the daughter who had didn't know, and there's no obligation in the son who had didn't feed the mitzvah and you're not. There's no mitzvah for both. So why did it say chiyev if there's no mitzvah either? It should say there's no mitzvah on the daughter. I did the tani. The reason why, I mean, according to Rehoboam and Broca, there's no chiv and there's no mitzvah. So why does the Mishnah say there's no chiv? It should say there's no mitzvah. The reason is because the end of the Mishnah talks about how after the father dies, there is a chiv, right? Once the father dies, then the inheritance does trickle down to the daughter. So there is a chiv. So because it said chiv in the end of the Mishnah, it says no chiv in the beginning of the Mishnah. But don't deduce anything from this. Okay. So this Usha, Usha was a place where the Bezdin sat. Um, the Sanhedrin sat there for a little bit of time and they made um, many Takanas. We're going to get through, we're going to start going through at least Takanas, I think over the next couple of One of them is a very famous one, that's tomorrow's daf, and that's not to spend more than a fifth of your money on tzedakah. That's a very famous one. That was an institution of Usha. So now we're going to institute Usha. Again, according to our Mishnah, there is no Chiyuv above the age of six. And there's a Shiloh whether there's a mitzvah. Says the Gemara, Usha Hiskinu. This was because in society in those days. Well, sorry, no, that's what Mr. Lord said. Yes, I, there's no, there's no Chiyuv. Where does it say in the Torah? I have to feed my sons. Up to the age of six. They're not even at the age of Chinuch. It could be that that's, I don't know. If, by the way, that we're going to have to figure out where the Chiyav 
comes. That's in a couple of I don't even know where that chiv comes from, but that's a universal chiv up to the age of six to, to feed your kids. The point you're asking, like, why not? Well, why yes? So how are they different than any poor person that lives in your neighborhood? I mean, that's the question. The question is, so you're just saying because you brought them in the world, it's your responsibility. Maybe it's your responsibility to take care of them the same way you take care of any poor person in your neighborhood. I don't know, it's, it's a funny thing. It's just because we're so programmed to assume that you should take care of them. But the question is, at what age? At what age does it stop? Once the age of six, I guess Chazal decided, or the Torah decided, they're old enough that they could handle, I don't know, I guess, yeah, back then they got jobs. I don't know. And it's, it's, again, it's, it's hard for us to wrap our brain around it because we're... Six years old, it's hard to wrap around. It's, you know, at 15, 16, it's a little... Even 15, 16, you're trying yeah. to get them to get a yeah, job. Yeah, but still, <laughs> it's, more, it's more That's of an idea. 15, 16 is... Listen, there are other countries, even I'm sure there are countries at six years old, they're shining... There are third world countries where kids at six, they're like doing stuff. I don't know. There's no school. There was no school also. There's no agricultural society. Yeah, they farmed. You could be picking cotton. Listen, I had a big... I got a big count when I was 21. I get it. We all get it. I get I get the grind. The Gemara says like this. It was a takan of Usha that you have to feed your kids until they're 13 and until they're 12. Meaning, six was the Ikrachiv, but Usha. Ex- Correct. Usha instituted that you have to do this now. So, up to, to, to an age of adulthood, 12 and 13. Where does it say that? Kitan Rashi says, until they get two hairs, which is 12 and 13. 12 for a girl, 13 for a boy. So that was, it's a takan of Usha. That was the Sanhedrin. What's the difference? What do you mean? I guess, I guess they extended maybe over time. They saw that six is too young. But once you're already, you're already old enough, you know, it's like Rav Shalom. <laughs> it's very, very big kids there. In my yeshiva, they, they, um, <laughs> the, 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 a lot of times the guys will want to speak to the Rosh Hashiva. Just like, like a reason just to talk to him. So one of the... <laughs> Just looking back, interesting. But one of the th- reasons why they want they would always have this conversation is when should I go to college? Because if you went to college, you're kicked out of Sharatar. You're kicked out of the Shir. But they they actually endorsed college, but they just they didn't want to become a college Shiva fine. So there was one guy, guy in my class, he kept on asking Rashalam, you know, when should I go to college? And Rashalam, uh, the Sharatar's approach is they never tell you what to do. They're not like the, you know, like Chavitzheim and Rashalam said, talk to your parents, figure out when you need to go and go. I'm not I'm not why should I, I how should I so he's pushing, he's pushing. But what is the shiva? What is the shiva? So Shalom said to him, "How old are you?" So he said, "I'm 18." He said, "If you were secular in Israel, you would have been shot at by Arabs for a year." I think you're old enough to decide when you can go to college. That was, that was his. Uh, that was his, and that's the. That's that's the overall approach. Is you're old enough, figure it out. So he, he said, "If you're if you were in the army, you'd be getting shot at. If you're old enough to get shot at, so I guess the chesed is maybe like you're 12 or 13. You're old enough that you get the death penalty. You're probably old enough that you could probably handle your own food." As I assume. Like today we're babying everybody that you have to have a master's degree, right? So everybody's more and more immature. I went to high school. So, so, so the Gemara says like this. Here, here's the Shaila. Hilchasa kavase in hilchasa kavase. Does the halacha follow this or not? Meaning, when Usha was metakinet, if Usha was metakinet, if that's the practical halacha, I don't know if it's a Shaila of whether it took place. The Gemara is asking of do we pass in the way, which is interesting because usually when Usha. Um, when Usha decides something that, oh yeah, so so 
So Rashi says, um, Ula comes into here and he says, Eloi, I'm sorry, Eloi comes in and he says, in Usha they were metakin, you have to feed your children until 12 and 13. Now if that's an accurate um, uh, report, then we force them. This is a Sanhedrin, this is a Takana of a Sanhedrin Agadol. We will force you with, la- like we'll, the question is, do we rely on that report? Meaning, was that an accurate report or not? So the Gemara says the following proofs. Tashimak, you have also the Kamid of Yehuda, um, if fathers would come in front of Rav Yehuda and they did not support their kids to the age of 13, Amar Lohi would say, Yared Yolda, the jackal gives birth, but you throw it to the fields. Meaning, Rav Yehuda would like berate them for not supporting their kids. He would call them like a jackal, like, like you just like you make like an animal, you give birth and then you just like, meaning Rav Yehuda was very upset with them. But you see, Rav Yehuda did not lash them, Rav Yehuda did not force them, which means it is not an accurate report, because if it was an accurate report, we would force them. It must be that it's not a full accurate report, so we take it into account that we berate the person and we shame the person and we talk to them and say, hey, come on, we like, come on, feed your kids, feed your kids. But to take them out and lash them, we're not prepared to do that. So you see, we do not fully rely on this report of the Takana of Usha, of the obligation to support your kids until 12 or 13. Another uh, anecdote, similar one. Kava also come to Rav Chizda, when a father who would not support their kids above six would come to Rav Chizda, he would turn over like a mortar, like a, like a, like a step stool in public. And he would make the father stand up and say, Urva even a raven wants its children. Ravens apparently are birds that uh, do not really care for their kids. But even a raven wants the kids a little. But I don't. So he would make them do this. Now, that's like shaming them, but he, he would never lash them. He wouldn't, he, he wouldn't, you know, penalize them financially. He would just, you know, shame them. So you see, we do not reply, rely on this report of Usha. Now, the Gemara before it goes to one more anecdote. The Gemara... If we rely on this report, meaning Rabbi Eloi says that in Usha they were metakin that you have to feed your kids. If that was an accurate report, then we would we would lash them. And like, if you don't listen to Takanas Anshiknes Agdaila, Takanas Sanhedrin Agadol, that's not just oh we're going to shame you. We're going to beat you until you listen. Right. So the fact that they're not doing this, evidently we're not relying on that. So we don't trust that that is a true report. We know that it's a takana, but we don't believe that it came from Sanhedrin and Usha. So right. You so could get confused. Well, that's a major difference. I'm not saying you. Everyone can get. There's a major difference between a takana that came from the Bezdin of, you know, Rabbi Shmuel, which is great, and the Sanhedrin Hagadol. I'm saying that's my point. So you see from this the fact that they're shaming the person means that they believe it's accurate, but not forcing it means they don't believe it necessarily came from Usha. And then there's a major difference. Now the Gemara just quickly before we. This is very very quick. The rest of the daf. The Gemara just says. Um, the Gemara said that a raven wants its kid. So the Gemara says, is that true? Does a raven really want its kids? That Hashem gives food to young ravens that call out because the ravens don't have parents to support them. You see that ravens don't support their kids. The Gemara just says, so Rashi explains when the ravens are born, apparently they're white. They start off white. And the older ravens, the mothers don't recognize them because the mothers are black. They're not very bright, so they don't really feed them, and they're on their own. And then once they turn the color to black as they mature, then the mother comes back and and takes care of them. So, 
Okay, so Raven sometimes supports, sometimes not, depending on whether they recognize the kid. Now, the last anecdote is Kiava Osla Kamidi Rava, when a father who was not feeding his kids came in front of Rava, Omerle, Nikola Demizze Menech Mitzedaka, he said, What, you want your th- kids to go to the charity? You want your kids to collect Sadaka? Meaning, he obviously berated him, but not forced him. Now, you see that we do not force someone. To, to feed your kids because we don't necessarily know it came from Musha. Now, th- this next line is very interesting. The Gemara says, This is only true if the father is not wealthy. Avol, Omid, if he's super wealthy, we actually force him. Meaning, if he's super wealthy and he's just doing it out of just a lack of interest, out of spite, then we force him. If, if money's tight for him, so it's something he should do, but we're not going to lash him, but if he actually is super wealthy, we'll, we'll, we'll beat him until he pays. Rava forced Rav Nassim Barami to give 400 Zuz to Tzedakah. Okay. Which is interesting, but they call him Rav Nassim Barami. I don't know, he didn't want to give Tzedakah. Also, it's a Shiloh and the Rishayim of where, what's the nature of this, like, like where does the power of this coercion come from? It's like, we're not going to coerce the guy, but you're super wealthy, okay. It's just interesting of, of I guess it depends on the motivation. Yeah, no, that's the point. The motivation is, like, a, a father should get it done even if he doesn't have the money. But if he's super wealthy and he's just not interested, then it's just Achzarius, then we're, we're going to get involved. Okay, let's finish up. Another one. Let's say the father does something that's really stupid, and he decides while he's alive, he writes all of my money and all of my everything I own goes to my kids right now. So the halacha is that if he does that in Usha, they were metakin that we will force the kids to feed him. Meaning, although technically he gave over everything that he has to his kids, and therefore they could just say, "Well, see ya." Usha was metakin, that if someone were to do this, we will force the son, meaning we will lash the son, in order to feed and support his parents. Okay. Now, it, it makes sense, because, I, you know, we can't have someone, like, he has the money, he signed it off. I can see both ways, whatever. But the point is, in Usha, they were metakin, that you have to, you have to support, the, the kids have to support the father from the father's money. So the Gemara is Akasha. The Gemara says... Um, I'm sorry, I lost the place. Maskifla Rav Zeira v'item Rav Shmuel Bar Nachmeni. Here's the Shaila. G'day l'mizu amru amenasai nizaynes minachasa hu ve'ishtay mibai. The cash is like this: If a father leaves all of his nachasim to his daughter, and he has a widow, what's the halacha? The widow takes the money from the from the inheritance. What if the daughter is married? So we know, technically, when the daughter is married, right, the father dies, that means the money goes to the daughter. Right? The daughter is married, that means it goes to her husband. And the halacha is that Chazal made it, it's not for now, but the Chazal made it that the son-in-law, his power of getting the money is very strong. That not only is it his inheritance, it's as if he purchased it. It has a very high level of, of, uh, of, of strength. It's part of the incentives of getting married is we want it to be that you get the inheritance in a very strong way. Yet... We still force the son-in-law to support his mother-in-law, the widow. So if we're going to make the son-in-law, who has a tremendous amount of power, and he got it as inheritance, he has to support the, 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 the mother-in-law, then the kids who were just given this as a gift, of course they're going to force them to support. Meaning, if, if we force the son-in-law to take out of the inheritance to, to support the mother-in-law, we should force the kids who just got it as a gift to support the parents. 
So what's the Chiddush? The Gemara speaks out the, another Kasha before we get to it. The Shalach Ravin Bigarta, how do I know that we force the son in law to support the mother in law? The Shalach Ravin Bigarta, Misha Mez, Venich Amana Ubas. If a father died and he left a daughter and a widow, Amanas in his Ainus Minachasab, then the, the widow takes money from escrow, from the, the inheritance. Nisus Abbas, if the daughter gets married, so now all the money goes to the son in law. Amanas in his Ainus Minachasab. Then the, the mother in law still gets supported from the son in law's estate. Mesa Habas. And if the daughter dies, still the widow can take money from the son-in-law even though the daughter is dead. So the kasha is, if we force the son-in-law who got it as inheritance and who's considered a purchaser, so it's a very high level of attainability, he still has to support the mother-in-law, then these kids who just got it as a gift, of course they have to support the parents. So what's the chiddush? You know the chiddush is. Of course, we're going to make them support a, a, a widow. She has no one to. She has no one to take care of her. But over here, where, where it's a parents, the father and the mother, you might think that we tell the father, you 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 gave everything to your kids. You want money? Get a job. You're fine. Get a job. Meaning, you might think the shaila is, oh, we 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 force the son-in-law to support the widow. So of course, we should force the kids to support the parents. The answer is, a widow has no one to take care of her, so of course we're going to force them. You might think we shouldn't force the kids to support the parents because we tell the father. You and your wife, go get jobs, you're fine, you get a job and, and support your wife. Kamash no. Usha was metakin. Now here's the Shiloh. Do we believe this statement of Usha being metakin? Again, it, the question is, do we force Usha, Usha, if Usha was metakin this, then we will definitely enforce it. But do we bring into question the validity of this statement? So the Gemara says, yes. Did, do we believe that Usha was actually metakin this or not? So the Gemara says, well, Tashima. Rav Hanina and Rav Yonison were once sitting and learning together. While they're schmoozing, whatever, a guy comes in. Akroy. He comes and he bends down and he kisses Rav Yonison's feet. Like he, he clearly loves Rav Yonison. He kisses Rav Yonison's feet. So Amelie Rav Chanina, my high school, Chanina says to Rav Yonison, why is the guy kissing your feet? Amelie Koysev Nechaz Levanavu. Go to the next page. Vasasina Lazane. He says, because what happened was, this guy who kissed my feet, he had given all his money to his kids and his kids refused to support him and I forced the kids to support him. So as a thank you, he's kissing my feet. You understand? So here's the cash. I'll say, I'll see it inside. If it's a takana of Usha, then it's not, you're not kissing Rav Yenison's feet. It's like, oh, like you kiss the rabbi's feet if he like thought of this, like, you know, he like took it upon himself. If this is a takana of Usha, legitimate takana of Usha, it's not kissing like, oh, like I, I heard Rabbi Ovum Institute that we should light, we should light candles every 25th of Kislev. No, that's not him, that's... So the fact that they're kissing Rav Yonison's feet means it's not from Usha. Because if it was legitimately from Usha, then what are you kissing his feet for? He's just fulfilling what Usha was talking. The answer is it's not really from Usha. We, we, we think it's something, but we don't know the legitimacy of it. And Rav Yonison took it upon himself to force the kids. So that's why he's kissing his feet. The Gemara says, If you if you believe that it's not from Usha, that's why he has so much akar satay for Rav Yonison. He's kissing his feet. But if He's just, if it's actually from Usha, and he's just fulfilling what Usha did, he'll be kissing his feet for. He's just fulfilling what the kind of, uh, of the Sanhedrin Agadol. Right, we'll stop here. Right. My pleasure. Nice Yeah, today was very pleasant.